I know Rex did some of this last week, but I apologize. You're going to hear some of it again because I feel like these two sections really go together. So we're going we're gonna to talk about uh, out of Matthew chapter 5. We're continuing the Sermon on the Mount series. And uh, this is verses, whew, verses 38 through 48 are what we're looking at today. So I'll try not to belabor the first part because I know Rex already told you all about that last week. But um, really kind of what we've been doing so far as we've gone through the Sermon on the Mount, um, starting in verse 17 there, Jesus has been talking about, um, he's been using these statements of like, you've heard it said, but I say. And so he's had the, you've heard it said, don't murder. You've heard it said, you know, he went into the oaths and the divorce and all that stuff. And so the parts today that we're doing kind of wrap up that section, if you will. So it's not the end of the Sermon on the Mount, but it finishes up that section where he's going, you've heard this, but I'm telling you that. Um, and really why that's important here um, is because what Jesus is doing is he's taking things from their culture at the time and he's correcting it. And he's showing them, no, you might have heard these things, but that's not what you're supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be doing X, Y, or Z instead. Um, and so he's talked about, most of what he's talked about has been interpersonal relationships, anger, lust, oaths. Um, and so he's pointing out to them that it's not just about our relationship with God, but ultimately it's about our relationship with other people too. And so um, we're going to kind of look at some of that today. I want to share something I heard. Um, so that's an iceberg, and I know you're wondering, what does that have to do with anything? Um, but I heard a really good message over this, and he was talking about with an iceberg, 10% of the iceberg is above the water. So that means like 90% of it is below the surface. And the correlation that this pastor was making is that the part above the surface of the water um, is our outward behaviors and actions, so the things that I do every day. Um, and the part below the surface of the water is my heart, right? Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Um, so we know that the heart is kind of the driving force for a lot of what we do. And so there's so much stuff under the surface that we don't ever think about that really dictates and determines our actions and our reactions in our everyday life. Um, and so honestly, throughout all this stuff, as we read through the Sermon on the Mount, we see that Jesus is really getting at the bigger issue of our hearts. So, you know, the Israelites were used to following the letter of the law, and Jesus is going, well, it's not just about your outward actions, but what's under the surface? What's going on underneath there that's really going to make a difference in our lives? Um, and so that's kind of what I want us to be mindful of as we're going through these, is just that um, kind of just questioning ourselves. I think it's always good to be introspective, to look inward and kind of see what's going on what's going on inside and underneath that's causing some of these, these issues and things. Um, so good. we'll go ahead and look at some of these scriptures real quick. Uh, so this first part, you've heard it said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. Um, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. Uh, if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you. Do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. Um, so what's interesting here, the Israelites are living under Roman rule. They are an oppressed minority underneath the Roman Empire. Um, and so prior to Jesus, there have been, um, this is actually the time of like Caesar, you know, when you study like your, your European history and stuff, it's the time of like um, Caesar and uh, Mark Antony and some of those. So there's been rebellions. The Jews have rebelled against the Romans. There's been bloodshed and stuff. Um, 
and this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, was actually a really common saying amongst Babylonians, Romans. Um, we see it in the Bible, right? So in the Old Testament scriptures, we see God give the law to Moses and the Israelites when they came out of Egypt, and he puts that in there, an eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. That's part of their system of laws that they're supposed to follow. Um, but this is also something that was done in the culture at the time. And so what's interesting when you look at it, the way God set this up is this was supposed to be a way um, for civil authorities to make sure that punishments were fair and equitable. So it wasn't a literal, I'm going to pluck your eye out. It was, let's say you injure somebody so they can't work. Well, your payment back to them is um, in food or goods or services. You're making up, you're compensating them for what they've lost, basically. Um, and so while God intended it to be just a way to make sure everybody's covered, everybody's um, kind of protected in a way, uh, what the Babylonians and the Romans and stuff at the time did um, was they actually took this as a personal form of retrib retribution, of retaliation. And so for them, a personal injury um, they considered to be a private wrong. And so instead of taking it like to an authority like the, the Israelites did, um, they would just get their payback between themselves, you know, and so um, it's been, right, exactly, we're not supposed to do that, no, and so what happened is the Israelites had kind of taken on those mindsets, the Israelites had been in bondage in Babylon, right, they were under Roman rule, and so all these cultures that they'd been with were following this practice of, I'm going to pay you back, you do something to me, I'm going to pay you back for it, and God's, Jesus is going, no, like that's not the heart of the law that God gave you, the heart of the law is that we're going to have fair, equitable, and we're going to do it the right way through the right channels. Um, and so just real quick with the, uh, with the specific examples he gives here. So he says, you know, don't resist the one who's evil. Um, if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, turn to him the other also. So uh, he gives three different examples, the slap on the cheek, um, suing them for their tunic, and then forcing them to go a mile. So the slapping them on the cheek, I don't know how much you talked about, but to slap someone on the right cheek, if you're right-handed, you got to use the back of your hand. So it's like a backhanded slap. Um, and so think of think of the insult. I mean, usually that's a form of insult, right? You know, you're going to slap someone with the back of your hand. And a lot of times you've seen like the double slap, right? So, so kind of the idea of like, okay, they're going to slap you with the back of their hand. Well, okay, so turn to them the other cheek and let them go ahead and finish what they were doing, you know. Um, the tunic. The tunic, the word for that is chiton. Um, I'm saying it wrong, but basically it was a long garment that they wore under their cloak next to their skin. Um, so that's the idea of like, they're suing you for your underwear. You know what I mean? Like that's the part you're wearing against your skin. It's not your outer coat, it's the inner piece. So they're gonna sue you for your underwear. We'll go ahead and give them your outer cloak as well, right? And then the last one, if they force you to go one mile, go with them too. Um, a common practice at the time was the Roman soldiers, they had I forget the name for them, but they, I mean, there were those Roman soldiers that had like all the heavy gear and stuff like that. Um, and they would find people along the road and be like, hey, carry my gear for me, you know? And so they're saying, you know, if they tell you to go one mile, go with them too. And so kind of the idea that Jesus is getting at with all of these, um, all of these are sources of personal shame for the person. Um, but Jesus's response isn't, well, just don't retaliate. His response is actually, um, to go a step further, he gives them an action they can take in response to the offense or shame um, that shows love, basically. Uh, so when you're slapped, you're, it's not just that I don't retaliate, 
but I take a form of action and I turn my other cheek so that they can slap me again if they want to. Um, if they sue me for my undergarment, it's not just that, okay, well, I just give it to them, but hey, let me take that extra step and give you my cloak as well. If they ask me to go a mile, no, man, I'm not just going to go a mile with you. I'll go two miles, right? So he's giving them, he's giving them actions, specific actions they can take um, in response to these offenses. And so what's interesting when you think about that, um, I know most of us, when offended, like I'm not going to do something nice back to you usually, right? Like that's not an easy thing to do. Um, if someone says something, if someone treats us wrongly, you know, our initial reaction is going to be, well, I need to do something back. Um, and it's not, it's, it's not an easy thing to take that step back and go, okay, instead of retaliating, instead of, you know, what can I do on their behalf to help them instead? But that's what Jesus is wanting them to do here. Um, and I know the fact that it's a source of shame for the person you know, everybody's got their own issues, but I know for me, a lot of times, like when I get angry, um, it stems from wounded pride, right? Someone's done something to offend or upset me, and that's, you know, I don't want to be embarrassed in front of people. And like Abigail, y'all, I don't know if y'all ever, remember when she shaved her head? And like, she didn't want to be embarrassed in front of people. She buzzed, buzzed down the middle of her head here. And like, if you pointed it out at all, like she would get so mad and she would run off. I mean, it was bad. But it's, I think we all have that in us of we don't want to be embarrassed. We don't want to be put to shame in any way. And so we have to fight that urge a lot of times to, to respond emotionally in anger, in frustration, in whatever it is, you know. Um, and so the real challenge is the recourse that Jesus mentions, um, the action we take in response to the offense. Uh, it needs to show love and care for the other person. And I think that's the challenge that we have um, just in our general everyday lives is when we are hurt, offended, whatever, you know, what do we do? Do we retaliate? Do we just ignore it? Or do we try to find something deep within that allows us to do something on the other person's behalf to go that extra step, that extra mile? And so this just ties in with everything else Jesus has been telling them. Everything he's been telling them so far in the Sermon on the Mount is it's not enough just to do what you've always done. He's calling them to a higher standard. Um, so it's not enough just to, it's not like, okay, just don't, just, just don't retaliate. Like that's not enough anymore, right? It's, it's more than that. Um, and so the reason I wanted to kind of talk about that is because it really ties in with the next part. So um, the next part says, oh, hang on. What did I skip? Oh, sorry, I forgot I had this here. Um, okay, so this is out of Romans 12, and I just want to show this is uh, the Apostle Paul writing later. Um, it says, repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what's honorable in the sight of all. Um, the part I want to look at here is, uh, like, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it's written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. And then it says, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For, uh, for by so doing, you'll heap burning coals on his head. And then this last part, it says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So it just reinforces that idea Jesus is getting at of um, we're not to pay back, but because you don't, you don't win anything that way. Like paying them back doesn't do anything. It just perpetuates the problem. But if I can sit here and go, okay, let me do something good in response, well, it snuffs out the issue because then they're going, 
well, that's different. That's odd. You know, that's not a normal response. So what's going on that would cause you to be nice to me when I'm so horrible? You know, um, and so that's that's what we're getting at here with this with Jesus is just that idea. Um, you know, what good can we do to help overcome the, the bad that's happened? So, um, OK, so that leads into this one. Uh, this is the second part of our little passage here, and this is what I want to kind of focus on. Um, so starting in verse 43, you've heard it said you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of your father who's in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more do you, are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. Um, so this really relates to what we were just talking about because when they do an act of good on someone else's behalf, they're acting in love, right? So we're supposed to love our neighbor. Now, the problem is at the time, he says, you've heard it said, not the Bible says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor, hate your enemy. Um, the love your neighbor part comes from Leviticus 19. Um, it says, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. Um, you shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So that's the command that God has given the Israelites in the Old Testament. You are going to love your neighbor. Now, where they're getting it wrong is that second part about hating your enemy. So for the Israelites, their neighbor, they considered their neighbor to be other Israelites. In the Old Testament, most of the time when this was used, it was in reference to other Israelites. Um, and so pretty much anyone, it's kind of like, People from Texas always say, like, anyone outside of Texas is a Yankee. It's kind of like that with the Israelites, right? If you're not an Israelite, you're an enemy. So that's kind of, that's kind of what they're saying is hate your enemy. Anybody that's not one of us, they're our enemy. Um, but what's funny, when you look in the Old Testament, in the scriptures, in Exodus 23, and this is all part of the law that God lays out for the Israelites right after they come out of Egypt, it says, if you meet your enemy's ox or his donkey going astray, you shall bring it back to him. If you see the donkey of one who hates you lying down under its burden, you shall refrain from leaving him with it. You shall rescue it with him. So we see clearly here that's not God's intention. His intention isn't for them to hate their enemy. His intention is for them to love and help their enemies. But the culture at the time, it's been twisted. And so they're in this mindset of because they're oppressed and they're, you know, having to fight and fend for themselves, anyone that's not with us is against us. And so we are going to hate those people. Um, and so Jesus is coming in and he's correcting that wrong, that wrong mindset, that wrong thinking. Um, and so just that challenge he gives them to love them and to pray for them. Um, we've talked before, but that act of praying for people that persecute you, it really does something to kind of tear down those walls in our hearts um, and help us to uh, act differently on their behalf. And I like this next part. It says, so that, so this is the reason why. Here's why you love your enemies. Here's why you pray for them. So that you may be sons of your father who is in heaven. Um, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good, sends rain on the just and the unjust. Anytime I'm angry and I read this passage, that verse uh, about the sun rising on the evil and the good and rain on the just and the unjust, that always gets me. Because it's like, man, I forget. We get in our mindset sometimes of like, I'm right, my way is right, 
all these other people are wrong. Um, and when you read stuff like that in scripture, you're kind of reminded that and God's for everybody, right? So this is an idea called common grace. There are things that God gives everybody regardless of who they are and what they've done. So he waters the plants. He gives us sun. He provides food, right? Everybody, whether they're a believer or not, whether they're good or evil, everybody has that common grace from God to have the things they need for life. Um, and so who am I to judge people for that? Who am I to, to disprove of people who I think are, are, aren't, are evil, who aren't the same as me? Um, so I just, that part always, always gets me. God, God gives sun and rain, both of which are necessary for life on earth, freely to the evil and the good. So there's no partiality when it comes to that. God's created all of us, and he loves all of us, regardless of what we do. Um, and Jesus is reminding them of that. He's reminding them of God's nature um, and the command he's given them to love. Okay? And so I want to take a minute and just kind of talk about what that word love means. Um, so with us... When we think of love, we think of like this emotion or this feeling that kind of happens to us, right? Um, and the problem we have in the English language is like that word love, we use it a lot of different ways. So I love pizza is a lot different than I love my kids, I love my husband, you know? Um, and so while we have one word that can mean a whole bunch of different things, in the Greek they had different words for, the, for love. Um, they had, you know, eros, which was like a romantic. They had phileo, which was kind of like a, just a brotherly, friendly. And then they have a word called agape, and that's the word that's being used here. Um, so agape love is really kind of considered the highest form of love. And this is the word used in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son. Um, so the idea of agape love is that it's a love that sacrifices and gives for others. Um, it's not a feeling or an emotion that happens to us, but rather an attitude or a mindset that results in action. So you look at that John 3.16, God so loved the world. That love he had was so great that he gave his son, right? So it's, it's an action that happens. Um, it's a choice that we make to view people the way God does and to do an act of love on their behalf, even if we don't think they deserve it. Um, so going back to those examples of the retaliation, right? The whole reason that I think this are, these are tied together is because when you look at what agape love is, when you look at loving your enemies, agape love is choosing to do something on someone else's behalf regardless of what they've done. And that's what Jesus just told us in that last section, right? He said, if they slap you on the cheek, turn to them the other also. That's agape. If they want to take your underwear, give them your coat too. That's agape love. You're making a conscious choice of, man, what you did sucks, but you're valuable in God's sight, and so I'm going to choose to do something for you, even though I really don't think you deserve it right now. I would really like to just throat punch you or something, you know, right? So, I mean, but that's what it is. That's what that agape is, and that's, I think, a really hard thing for us um, to grasp. It, not necessarily to grasp, but just to do. It's hard to do. It's hard to treat people well when they've treated us poorly. Um, but I heard, I heard Tim Mackey, he does the Bible project. I heard him say, um, this, he said, none of us has the right to deny someone kindness or generosity. None of us has the right or authority to treat someone as unloved whom God has called loved, right? That's not my right. That's not for me to do. Who am I to say that someone's more deserving of love than somebody else? Like God made them, not me. So what, what am I? Whether they're my enemy or not, you know, 
it's not for me to say. Um, and unfortunately, it's something we do all the time, right? It's so common right now. It just seems to get worse and worse all the time. Our society is so polarized. It's so common. If you're not for me, you're against me. If you're not in my camp, if you're not in my tribe, then you're my enemy. And we'll be honest, we were in a system like that for three years. That if you're not, if you don't think exactly what we think, you're an enemy, you're an outsider, you're against us. And that's, that's not what God's saying here. Um, none of us are perfect. Right? My sins look different than yours, but they're still sins. Um, so, you know, we just, I, I think for me, the biggest thing is just remembering, like, we're all messed up in different ways, but we're also all made in God's image. And so if I can start to see that, if we can start to look past our feelings towards people and make a conscious choice to see them as God does, to see them as made in God's image, then we can begin to act in love on their behalf. And we can begin to walk in the agape love that Jesus is speaking of here. Um, so it's not easy and it's not something that's natural, but it's something that if we're conscious of it, we can choose, we can make the choice to start seeing people differently, to start taking that step back and going, okay, God, let me, let me see what you see. Let me see through your eyes and help me to, to love um, and treat them as you would. So um, the, uh, the sections we did before this, uh, one of them that Paul preached on was the salt and light, right? And so I love how all of this just flows together. Everything Jesus has been saying is building. So we're called to be salt and light. Um, so my question then is, if, if the world sees the same behavior in us, or worse, um, as it does non-Christians, then, then what does that say about our faith, right? Have our lives really been changed by Jesus? And I can be honest, sometimes for me, they don't see much different um, especially when it comes to people who've hurt me, um, you know, I'm, I'm the worst. I, I probably shouldn't tell this story, but when Paul and I were first dating, he had a roommate that kind of like really hosed him over financially with some stuff. And I probably told some of y'all this and, uh, left him with like, left him with the rent and like a whole bunch of stuff to take care of. And like, I was mad cause this was like a childhood friend and, uh, somebody that was supposed to be like on his side. And so that dude was dead to me for years. Like, we'd have to see him, like, every Christmas. And, like, it was just, it was, but, like, I was, I don't want anything to do with him. I'm not going to, like, man, you messed with Paul. Like, you are going to pay for that, you know. But that's, I mean, that's, I think, like, we get like that sometimes. We're super protective of people we love. We're protective of ourselves. And so it's easy in those situations to be like, man, you're an enemy, you know, instead of going, yeah, that was a jerk thing to do, but you're still made in God's image. God still loves you. My husband still loves you and cares about you. Like, Paul wasn't mad. He's like, it's just, you know, whatever. It's fine. He wasn't mad. I was mad. Like, come on. You know, but we do that. We get on these things, and it's like, man, God's just going, man, if you could just take a step back, look at it from a different perspective, I think, you know, a lot of times it makes a difference. And so that's, for me, I told Paul, I mean, just really the past 10, 15 years has been of, you know, living with him, dealing with his dad a lot. It's been a lot of lessons for me on taking a step back and trying to see things from a different perspective. And I've found that the more I'm able to do that, um, the better it is because I get to really see God's heart and see um, just what God wants for others. Um, and so I think that's honestly what, what Jesus is getting at here um, is, you know, for us to truly be different from the rest of the world. 
Um, we have to love as he does, um, and we have to choose at times to do things that don't seem natural, to do acts of kindness for others, even when they don't necessarily deserve it in our mind. Yes, exactly. Yeah, you can have too much salt and you can have too much light and it's a little harsh and not, not so great. We don't want to be that. We want to be the right amount. So um, so this last part here, uh, if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Don't the Gentiles do the same? Same thing with the tax collectors. That goes back to the salt and light. If you're doing the same thing the rest of the world's doing, what difference does that make? You know, um, We're called to be different. We're called to to show people something different. Um, and then the last part, you therefore must be perfect as your heavenly father is perfect. This part always tripped me up a little because it's like, man, that's like a hard goal to hit, you know, be perfect. But that word perfect, and I'm not going to try to say it because I'll butcher the pronunciation, but the word perfect just means mature and complete. Um, and so it's the idea that um, not that we're never going to do anything wrong, but that we're striving for maturity in the Lord. We're, we're trying to be more like Christ. Um, and to, so, you know, calling us, Jesus is calling us to mature and grow in our relationships with others. And that only comes as we mature and grow in our relationship with him. Um, and there's a, a pastor and an author named Pete Scazzaro um, who said, uh, has a book. And uh, one of the things he talks about, he says, you cannot be spiritually mature if you're emotionally immature. And so I kind of want to go back to that iceberg, um, that part above the surface, our outward actions, is really driven by what's underneath, um, by our heart. Um, and that our heart's made up of there's so much stuff under there. But it's that idea that if we truly want to mature and grow in Christ, if we want to be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, if we want to love our enemies um, as he as he loves us, right? Then we have to kind of explore that stuff underneath the surface. Um, so this was just something from Pete Scazzaro's book, um, exploring the iceberg. So underneath, you can see it says, "What are you mad about? What are you anxious about? What are you glad about? What are you sad about?" Just that idea of like looking beneath the surface of, okay, like this situation really really hurt me. Why? Why did it hurt me? And then what can I do? differently next time to, to respond to situations like that you know there's another one here that I found and you know what people see is the behavior up top and then what's hidden underneath instead of saying our heart you can think of it like our beliefs our values our worldview all this stuff builds in and affects how we respond to people and how we respond to situations and so Jesus really really ultimately wants to get at our hearts um, he wants to get at those deeper hidden things beneath the surface so that our outward actions reflect him and not the world around us. Um, and the last thing, I don't have a, let me see, I think that's all of them. Um, oh, this was a good quote. Um, we can't change, or better said, invite God to change us when we're unaware and do not see the truth. So just that idea of looking, looking within. Um, the last thing real quick, Romans 12 um, is one of my favorite uh, passages. Um, but at the start of Romans 12, 1, he talks about, um, I urge you, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your body as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to the Lord. This is your spiritual act of worship. And then he says, do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect 
complete, mature will, right? And so um, I think that's the key here is it, the, the do not be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed. Ultimately, that's Jesus' goal, right? He doesn't want surface-level actions. He wants the heart underneath. In the Psalms, it says God doesn't desire sacrifice, but a broken and contrite heart. And so we really have to make the effort to look inward. Um, ultimately, the way in which we're to be different from the world around us is our love for others. Everything Jesus teaches and gets at points to this. Um, it's not enough just to obey what the Bible says. He wants a true heart transformation, a true inward change that allows us to love others as he does. Um, and as we do that, the light of Jesus will shine for those around us to see, and they'll be drawn to him. Um, we're to love those around us, not just the ones we like and agree with, not just the ones who are kind and loving towards us, but even those who hurt and offend us, even those who have different beliefs from us, even those who slight or slander us, because they're all God's children too, uh, and they're all valuable and precious in his sight. So... Ultimately, that's the goal. That's what we're after. And so are we letting our hearts be changed by Jesus? Are we willing to explore the deeper hidden things um, so that people will see him in us, in our actions, in, our, in what we do? So, all right, let me pray. Um, Heavenly Father, we just thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for your son and the sacrifice he made for us. Uh, thank you for your love and the grace that you show us each and every day. And God, I just pray that you would help us um, to examine those hidden things, uh, to go deeper with you, God, to give you access so that we can become more like you, um, so the world around us can know your love and, and your grace and your mercy and your goodness. Um, so we just thank you. I just pray for everybody here and everybody that couldn't make it, Lord, just um, be with us throughout the week. Um, guide and direct us and help us just to grow closer to each other and closer to you. In Jesus' name, amen.